Good morning. This morning's Old Testament reading is from Psalm 51, verses 1 through 10. It's on page 566 of your pew Bible, Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness, even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. This is the word of the Lord. Today's New Testament reading comes from Luke 15, not 51, I know that's a little confusing. Luke 15, it's going to be verses 1 through 10. You can find that on page 1047 of your pew Bible. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Or, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Sherman. So I'm going to um, start this morning by giving you a, a pro tip about reading Jesus' parables. Um, it comes from uh, one of our old preaching professors, Daryl Johnson. Uh, he would always make the point that most of the parables are not really about us uh, so much as they are about God. Um, and so he would always rename them to make God the central figure because it's God, God's character that is the point of the parables. 
So say the parable of the lost sheep that we just heard would become something like the parable of the careful shepherd. Or the parable of the lost coin would become the parable of the determined woman. In the new titles, God's, God, the God figure, I should say, in the story, the God figure gets the prominence. Um, in those parables, those stories that we read this morning, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the tax collectors and the sinners and us too, we all feature in the story um, as sheep and coins. But we aren't really the point. We're not the actors. The character of God is the point. And if we get mixed up about that, these parables might have us wringing our hands about whether we're the 99 sheep who are all together left in the open country or the one sheep that's stuck in some crag somewhere. Maybe whether we're the nine coins still held safely in the woman's pocket or the one that has rolled under the couch. But if we're doing that, we are missing the point. We might uh, turn these stories into some call for evangelism or some kind of patronizing service, like we should seek out the lost. Um, That's not not true, Uh, but the parables are not ultimately about us and what we should do. We are not the ones whose sheep and coins have gotten lost. We are not the ones out looking. We are not the ones throwing the party at the end. We are not the active ones in the story. We are the sheep and the coins. And something, uh, something new hit me this week, new to me, about each of these stories. Uh, there's actually no real difference between the 99 sheep in the pasture and the one who is lost or the nine coins in the pocket and the one under the couch. Like, if you were to put them all together again, you probably couldn't tell which was which. They're all the same. All 100 sheep are scared, silly creatures prone to getting lost. Anyone, any one of them could have wandered off. All 10 coins are just coins, one as easily lost as another. Jesus seems in these stories to see us each the same way, no matter our particular situation at any given moment, lost or found, sinner, tax collector, or striving to be righteous. And this one thing that um, creation season draws me to repeatedly, I felt like this is what I learned last creation season, (laughs) and it seems like such a basic principle, Uh, We are all of us creatures and different from God. And that sounds like a really like, uh, yeah, of course, but kind of going to go off on a tangent here, but the, um, a lot of our society is set up to teach us that we are God. Um, and I, like I wear a watch on my wrist. This is, I don't know if I've told you this before, but I took a technology criticism class in seminary that was blew my mind every week. Um, And one of the things that we would talk about is how these different technologies not only changed the way we did things, but also changed the way we thought about the world and how that changed, how how they acted on us. So the wristwatch was an example. Um, The clock was invented. When the clock was invented, it was kind of a thing that like some people had, but nobody had access to it. 
And in, and in that time, before people had the clock, they just sort of lived in time. Like time ruled over them in a way that when you have a wristwatch and you think like it's 11.30, I have half an hour left until lunchtime or whatever. I have now risen above time, right? Like I can parse out my day in a way that I can't when I don't have such easy access to it. And I could talk about that for a long time because I find it fascinating. But like just a wristwatch, forget driving a car or you know, sending messages across the world, getting on a plane, all these things that change the way that we think about time and space and our relationship to it. We are creatures. We are in time whether we think we can control it or not. We are not in charge of it. Um, so it makes sense to me that when God tells a story about who God is in relation to us, we are all coins. We are all of us sheep. And Jesus tells these stories um, along with the parable of the prodigal son that comes right after this. Um, some people would say this is actually only one parable, all three of these stories together. Um, we could better call that parable the parable of the prodigal son. Maybe we'd call it the parable of the loving father. He tells these stories because the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are trying to draw some like fundamental distinction between themselves and the tax collectors and the sinners. You know, they have all gathered around Jesus to hear him, and they're standing in the back with their arms crossed, muttering, he welcomes tax collectors, he welcomes sinners, and eats with them. In other words, they're not as worthy as us. And Jesus tells these stories to say that God will always go after what is lost and always delight when it is found, but there's also this subtle message in there that these groups are not so different from one another as they think. They're all sheep, they're all coins, they're all sons, and if any one of them gets lost, God will find them and bring them back. These are stories about the God who searches for what is lost and does not give up until it is back where it belongs. They are about the God who has been looking for us since the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve hid in the bushes in their shame and God asked them, where are you? They are about the God who has been called the Hound of Heaven who has never stopped pursuing God's wayward creation and who has longed to gather us under divine wings drawing us in. This God is the shepherd who searches through the hills and the cliffs to hoist us on his shoulders and bring us home. This God is the woman lighting her lamp and meticulously sweeping and sweeping through every darkened corner of the house. She is the one who seeks us until she can hold us in her hand again. This is the God whose greatest joy is to find us at last and bring us home. God's persistent looking and God's joyful celebration for whatever and whoever might get lost, that's the center of these stories. And the celebrations actually are a little bit ridiculous. Um, Jesus asks, like, when you found your lost sheep, wouldn't you go and call your friends and neighbors together and say, celebrate with me, I found my lost sheep? It's like, well, I don't know. I don't think so. 
<laughs> like, like, isn't that what a shepherd does like every day? Or would a woman throw a party over a lost coin? Like, I'm sure she'd be happy, but it might cost the coin to throw the party. It's like a little over the top. And God's rejoicing over the lost in these stories is lavish. It's extravagant, and that is the point. Like, stories like this sometimes have us romanticizing the sinners and tax collectors. Like, oh, they're just such misunderstood good guys and demonizing the Pharisees. They're so judgmental and meh. And it's not really fair on either count. Like, people are complicated. And this isn't about good guys and bad guys. Like, it's, it is significant that Jesus eats with the sinners and tax collectors. Like, we should pay attention to that. Jesus is willing to see himself and to have others see him as connected to them in a really deep way, in a way that is not done by respectable Jewish people. It is a radical inclusion of those who are intentionally excluded. But it's also important to remember that Jesus also eats with the Pharisees. He is willing to be connected to them too, despite their judginess that often gets in the way of their love. They are all of them, the shepherd's sheep and the woman's coins and the father's sons. And there is grace for each of them in these parables, though the tough part is that it's probably harder for the Pharisees to hear. Think of all the stern and meticulous people that you know. Um, That's how I see the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Um, Think of the people you know, and maybe it's you, (laughs) uh, who are trying really hard to hold it together, who are doing their best to do the best in all the things, who are often stern with other people, maybe because they're often stern with themselves. Like, what do you want to tell them? Don't you kind of want to say, like, you just don't have to try so hard? Like, you can let go. It's going to be okay. Like, I want and need to say that to myself regularly, Uh, because I'm not that different than the Pharisees. And actually, like, one commentator translates Pharisees and teachers of the law as the pastors and elders, which is to the point, right? Um, And, I mean, seriously, like, if you want to compare the livelihoods of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law versus the sinners and the tax collectors, probably most of us in this room can identify more closely with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Um, Like... I don't know, I have ideas about the way the world should work and how people should be in it, how they should treat other people, what they should care about. And it's difficult for me when other people fall short of that or intentionally go against it. It's also difficult for me when I fall short of that, which happens all the time. Again, rejoicing over the lost ones, maybe Jesus is giving the stern ones permission to just unclench themselves a little bit, to relax into their own capacity to get lost. Maybe Jesus is saying to them, like, it's okay. It's okay to be lost. You don't have to hold it all together. You don't have to get the things perfect. 
If you want to please God the most, let me find you in your lostness and rejoice over bringing you home. Maybe they are so stern and so meticulous because they know on some level that they're lost too and they just can't bear it. Maybe they know, maybe they don't know they're lost, but they know that they could be. That the risk is always there. And they are trying so hard to make sure that never happens. Like the gospel is easiest to hear for those who know that they are the sinners and the tax collectors of the world. But for someone who has worked hard to put up a front, to convince themselves and others that maybe they could be perfect, especially for those who are good at it, like who can actually convince people that they're doing it, they're well-respected and highly esteemed because of the things that they have done, because of how clean their house is, because they follow the rules just right. You know, it's really hard to let that guard down if you think that that's what's protecting you. It is really hard to come around and see yourself in the same boat as the tax-collecting traders and the sinners who can't or won't get it together. It is hard to be lost, but it is also so freeing. I hear Jesus saying that when he says that the 99 are left in open country. Like, you can translate that word wilderness. Um, This is the only time in scripture that it's translated open country. Like, why on earth does he say that little bit? Like, that clause is unnecessary. He could just say he leaves the 99, and we would all assume that they're, like, in a pen or something with a different shepherd. Why say it if not because he wants them to hear themselves as lost too? Because a sheep in the wilderness without a shepherd is effectively a lost sheep. Like, no matter how many of them there are, sheep are dumb and vulnerable. And they are some of the most fearful creatures I have ever seen. They will run anywhere. (laughs) A sheep left in the wilderness without a shepherd is essentially lost. You see the same thing at the end of the parable of the prodigal son. The lines between being lost and being found kind of blur. In that parable, the older son, who is like the righteous one, the Pharisee, um, he seems never to have gotten lost. But at the end of the parable, the father and the younger scofflaw son, the one who took off and wasted all his money and broke all the rules and came back groveling, those two, the father and the younger son, they're together in the party enjoying the celebration, and the older son stands outside alone. In the wilderness of his self-righteousness, he refuses to join his father's joy, despite the father's invitations. He doesn't want to go into the party, which is the kingdom of God in these stories. He doesn't want to go into the party because he doesn't like the other people who are in there. And at the end of the story, we don't know whether he'll choose to go in or not. Who in the story is really lost? The lines are blurred. I think if they have ears to hear it, and if we do, 
we can hear this word of grace to all of us. It is okay to be lost. So if you can't hold it together and you've made some terrible mistakes or if you're hiding some things about yourself or your life, if your righteousness is like a little bit of patchwork, if you feel like you're falling short all the time, it's okay. It's okay to be lost. Your God will find you. No matter how lost you are, it will not get in the way of your being found. Or if you're exhausted, because you can hold it together, but it takes everything you've got. And you're angry because some people around you can't quite keep up, and why can't they, and how dare they, and that anger is starting to eat you from the inside. Maybe you've started to draw some lines that you kind of know that you shouldn't draw, but still... Maybe it's time to relax a little and to remember that God doesn't value you because of how perfect you are, how you get it all right. You are the focus of God's love. God has God's eye on you without any of that. A sheep You are a sheep whose shepherd will notice if they are gone and will come and find you. You are a coin whose owner will not give give up until you are back safe with her. Breathe and rest in that shepherd's care, in the determination of the woman. Lost or found, you belong to God. You hear that same idea echoed in Psalm 23. David sings it. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, he says. The word for follow there is like chase or hunt. Um, It's determined, to say the least. Surely your goodness and love will chase me all the days of my life. The grace of God is always bigger. It is always more than we can know. Like we cannot get our minds around it. Jesus died for us while we were still sinners, even before we had a thought of holiness. Jesus forgave the ones who drove the nails into his hands even as they were doing it. It seems to me that God is more okay with our lostness than we are most of the time. God has done everything to make up for it. God is just so determined to bring us home. There's so much grace in knowing that no matter how lost you are, you can be found. Your God will seek you up, hoist you up on divine shoulders, and bring you home. (laughs) And not not with the shrug and frustration of someone who wishes you had done it differently and why didn't you, but rejoicing in celebration. You can relax into that grace. You can unclench yourself. Stop hiding. It's okay to be lost. You'll be found.
Let's pray together. Sometimes, um, God, your grace seems bigger than I can believe. Maybe even offensively so. Like it's not fair that you should be so generous. Lord, may we receive this gift your generosity for ourselves. May we learn how to rest in your goodness and your incredible kindness to us. In Jesus' name, amen.